Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 5 in your Bibles. Uh, We're going to begin reading from verse 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 5. And we are going to begin reading from verse number 13. When you arrive there, you can say amen. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, help us, Lord God, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Father God, you are well aware, Father God, of what we are tasked with today. As a nation, Lord God, as a people, Father God, we are ready, Lord, to accept the challenge. I pray, God, that you would instruct us through the Holy Spirit. Father, I'm your vessel. I'm just standing here, Lord God, wanting desperately to be used by you. So use me, Lord, tailor my words. Let them come, Lord, from the heart of God. Father God, I want to just remove myself that you might speak very, very clearly and precisely to the church today. Father, we thank you and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated in the Lord's presence. We're kicking off a brand new series today entitled uh, Hot Topics. And for those who don't know, I have a preaching calendar. My preaching calendar is done before the beginning of the year. Now, none of you are privy to that. Only the people who are on the staff know what I preach. And the reason we don't give it out to you because you may pick and choose what what series you like and choose not to come. So, so, uh, you know, we plan our sermon series uh, before the year, for the entire year. And it just so happened that we are launching Hot Topics. Now, Hot Topics is a series that is designed to confront current events that are happening in the news today. And I don't believe it's no accident that Hot Topics happen to land on the time when we have such an uproar uh, with regard to uh, issues in our communities involving the police. Uh, and so uh, more, more, more closely, even talking about uh, Baltimore. And so how many know that even though things catch us by surprise, God knows the beginning and the end. And God knew that at this moment we would be here and uh, talking and having to deal with an issue that is very, very uh, difficult for our nation. As you, unless you have been on another planet, Baltimore has captured the nation's attention. And I must say that I am very saddened uh, about uh, the death of the young man that was uh, killed, and I'm very saddened about his family. I just could not imagine the pain that they must be experiencing. 
But before Baltimore, there was Ferguson. And before Ferguson, or around the same time, there was South Carolina. And then uh, there was an episode in New York that the media has highlighted. All these involve the death of African Americans um, by the hands of a police officer. Um, there's an elephant in the room. And um, for those who may not know, I am a bivocational pastor. I've been in law enforcement for some 24 years. And there have been 24 wonderful years as God has really used me in an amazing way to be able to touch lives. So I thank God for, uh, for bringing me into this capacity. And I don't talk about my job much. And I'm very, very reluctant to talk about it today. But I feel the need that I need to do this to bring some context so that um, the Holy Spirit can do what he needs to do. Um, I know the complexities uh, firsthand of what it takes to be a policeman. Um, not knowing, for an example, if a routine traffic stop will lead to your death. Having to make life or death decisions within a split second having to risk your life going into hostile environments that most people avoid. Not knowing if the person that you're having a, a casual conversation with will suddenly pull out a gun or knife and try to harm you. Every day leaving home hoping that it won't be the last time that I see my wife and my kids. This is what I've been dealing with for some 24 years. Policemen don't have the luxury to walk away. The stress of the job never ever leaves you. On an average, a cop lives about seven years after retirement because of the level of stress. The divorce rate is very, very high. Yet with all the complexities and the difficulties of, of being in law enforcement, uh, there's no more rewarding feeling than know that you can help somebody that is hurting or is being threatened, uh, protecting children from sex and child abuse, helping some victim that's been abducted, uh, protecting a mother that's being physically abused by her husband, protecting the community from robbers and thieves and hunting down murderers and putting them behind bars. There's no greater feeling, and I have participated in that in over some 24 years of my life. And so the recent police actions uh, have angered a lot of people, particularly that recently, most recently in Baltimore. And, um, and I can understand the outrage. In fact, I can, uh, for some of you may remember the shooting in South Carolina where there was a man who was, uh, I believe, was wanted for something about, uh, uh, you know, uh, something about paying child support or something of that nature. I'm not sure of all the details, but you, you show the video clip and the gentleman is running from the police and the police guns him down. How many of you saw that? And uh, uh, I got to tell you that, that my heart broke. I was so, uh, my, my emotions went to so many different places because my experience and my dealing in law enforcement, and the vast majority of law enforcement officers do not, are not that way. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people may think, they are not that way. And it, 
And that I, my prayer and my hope is that um, people that do that kind of thing, that they face the full bore of whatever the law has to offer in such cases. Police brutality, let me go on record as saying this. Police brutality is wrong. Abuse of power is wrong. And it should not be tolerated under any circumstances. Do you hear me? It's wrong. But let me further say that it's also wrong to burn and to loot and to commit violence and strike back at the police in such a violent way. That is also wrong. Because there's people who are out there who are living in, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible, for an example, that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's wrong, too. You know, I have, um, I, know what it, I know what it means to be a black man in America. Hint. Um, but I also know the complexities of being in law enforcement and being an African American. In my own police community, I experience on various occasions people of the other race uh, that look down upon me and I had to work extra hard to try to prove myself and there were times when they would just ignore me altogether. But then there were times, too, when my own people of the African-American community uh, would call me things like Uncle Tom because I was trying to do my job. And even my peers on the job, um, I experienced prejudice with some of them that I've had to deal with over the years. So I'm talking to you from a place of objectivity. I hope that it lends itself to some credibility uh, that you can see in me as I speak about this issue. Jesus left us here to engage. He did not leave us here to simply sit back, watch and observe, and simply hope that all of this stuff is just go away. Jesus, when he walked the planet, he was always walking into the stuff, challenging the, the, day, the, the culture of that day, challenging wrong behavior, challenging sin, and calling people up to a higher place. I'm not so much going to preach to you this morning. I just want to have a discussion. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number five that we are the salt of the earth. We meaning the church. Salt preserves, has the capacity to heal, and salt flavors. Jesus is saying that we are the ones to preserve what is good and what is right in the earth. We are the ones that will bring healing to a hurting society. We are the ones that should flavor the earth with the goodness of God. How many of you hear what I'm saying this morning? We are the salt of the earth. Which I get my statement that you hear me say over and over again, that the church is the hope of the world. The church really is the hope of the world. Jesus made it so. He also said in that verse, says, you are the light of the world. Light points a way out. 
light points to freedom. How many know that the church ought to lead the way in helping the communities like Ferguson in South Carolina and in Baltimore to find their way out? And hence, let me tell you, the answer is not going to simply be just all the politicians and all of it. It's just not just going to be that. Let me tell you, and let me tell you this emphatically, because I believe it with all of my heart. I believe it with all my strength. We're living in the, the, the sign of the times. Jesus is real. Are you hearing me? His message is real. And, and he said, that, how many know the salt and light? Jesus is saying that we're to be the difference makers. Said the church. He's in all that stuff and all that anger and all that frustration and all that violence and all that misconduct. He said that we, the church, you are the light of the world. Stop looking to somebody else and look to who God made you to be. We are the remedy to the problem. The church, the light. He said, you are the light of the world. How do we know people are looking for light? And, and it's every now and then, and you can see the hopelessness sometimes on people's faces. God, what am I going to do? And you can see the pain. I, the, the church, Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You go do it. I left you here to represent me. Now, in order to represent Christ truly, you have to really be devoted to Christ. I'm going to say that again. To truly represent Christ, you have to be truly devoted to Christ. Because here's what, here's what I'm finding, and this is what gets my goat, so to speak, is when I see people who are Christians, that are more devoted to their political agenda and to their ideology and more than they are to Christ. I get very, very frustrated. Because you don't really know what you're really, you don't really know what's in you until you get put in the fire. The fire has a way of bringing out what's really deep down on the inside. You don't really know what you are until you've been tested, baby, until they, until they turn the heat up on you. Then we'll find out what's really deep down on the inside. Joshua asked his generation a question, and I believe the Holy Spirit is asking us today. In Joshua 24, he asked the question, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or whether you're going to serve me. The scripture says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. Pastor, why is this so important? Because unless you are really devoted to Christ, we cannot make a difference. Are you listening to me? We cannot change the world. We cannot be a remedy to Ferguson. We can't be salt and light until we know who we are and who we are called to be. Luke 14, 26, listen to this verse. He says, if anyone comes to me, hear me, 
and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Powerful words. And let me translate for you. We cannot be more devoted to our race, to our traditions, to our ideology, because a lot of folks are. A lot of people are more devoted to that than they are to Christ. And how do I know it? Because when they put a microphone in their face, they say nothing about Christ. And there are a lot of people that got reverent at the beginning of their name who are not talking about Jesus. So then, our devotion to Christ is the foundation by which we are able, the power is in our uniqueness. The power is in the fact that we are different, the salt and light. We're different. And when we try, when we try to use the forces of this world, when we rely on that and that alone, then we miss an opportunity that God has given us. Paul said it this way, I count it all dumb that I might know Christ. Paul said, I know nothing among you except Christ and Christ alone. Christ crucified, that's all I know. So Christ, a devotion to Christ must be greater than anything else. I mean, listen to me, church. I'm talking to you as a brother in Christ. Listen to me. Your devotion to Christ must supersede every other thing on the planet. Everything. Jesus, he, he, he modeled it. Jesus said, for example, in John 4, 34, he said, to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. How many know that Jesus made a lot of people upset? A lot of his own Jewish people, may I add. Why did he make them upset? Because he was devoted to God. And let me tell you something, when you really get devoted to God, you will make some people upset, but in the process, you will change the world. People being offended. The apostle Paul had a great love for his people. But Paul understood that his mission to Christ was far greater than anything else. Our divided loyalty weakens significantly our effectiveness in the earth. We got to understand who we are and why we exist on the planet. What is the mission of the church? I, I fear that the church is becoming watered down to just another social institution. Another social club, just another thing to do, another, just another pillar of the society. I believe that the church is the society. The church is the answer. The church is meant to be out front. It's people. It's meant to lead the way. And the only way we're going to do that with integrity is we got to be honest with who we are. We got to begin to understand what am I called to do? What, what, is, my, what, what is my identity in all of this? So how do we engage? I have seven practical steps that I want to share with you this morning. How do we biblically engage societal ills and wrongs? Because we're here, right, to be salt and earth, salt and light. So God wants us to engage. The question is, how, how do I, whose side do I be on? Who, who, whose side do I join? Do, do I join the, the, the Democrats? Or do, should I join the Republicans? 
You know, who, whose side am I on? Can you please tell me? Whose side are you on? I say that we should all be on the side of Christ. That our affinity and our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone, period. This is why I speak from a place of freedom. I speak with our, when I say to you that I am free from racism, I am free from hurt, I've experienced racism, I've experienced pain, I've experienced wrongdoing, and I know how to forgive because why? Because Christ is my Lord. And I walk with freedom. I look at every person as a child of God. I don't care what color you are. And I say that because it's the truth. I am free. Because Christ has instructed me to be free. He's told me, this is how I live. It's not to say that I don't care about my people. I do. But I know that if I really love my people, I point them and every other people group to Christ. That's all I got. If you're wanting something else, I have nothing else for you. So how do we biblically engage? Number one, listen to me. And I want you to listen very, very carefully to these. Pray for all who are involved. This is what your Christian duty and responsibility should be. 1 Timothy 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 down to verse number 3, it says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. How many know that we need to pray that God will protect the innocent from senseless violence? Do you hear me? We need to pray that the mother and father who lost their sons or their daughters in violence, however it came, we need, we need to pray for them. We need to lift them up. We need to cover them. He also says, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. See, the church cannot be seen as biased. We cannot be seen as a, another, a part of a political machine. The church is not Democrat or Republican, not Jesus' church. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's not. See? For kings and all who are in authority, pray for those. Pray that those who are in authority will make just and right decisions. Pray for the police officers who put their lives on the lines daily to protect their community. Pray that unjust cops with unjust motives would be exposed and expelled. Pray. James 5.16 says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Instead of going into the streets in anger and madness with bricks and bottles, won't you go there and grab somebody's hand and begin to cry out to God? Cry out to God. That's how we engage. Pray. He, he said, we said it this morning, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and turn, turn, turn from their wicked ways because you can't be walking in evil and then talking about your praying. You got to make a decision who you're going to serve now. He said, turn from your wicked way. He said, then I'll heal your land. God want to heal the land. We do more talking than we do praying. But 
James said that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, a whole lot. The more intense do we see riots and all of these things, we need to pray harder. I was tempted a couple of times to just call an emergency prayer meeting on a couple of cases. But I, I feared that too many people wouldn't show up. I, I was afraid. I, I mean, I, I'm just, and, and, and maybe that's a flaw with me. I got to get through that. But, but I, because I understand that there's power in prayer. 1 Timothy 2.8 says this, I desire therefore that the men, that, that I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy, everybody say holy, holy hands without wrath and without doubting, lifting up holy hands. Pray everywhere. Pray in the streets. Pray in your communities. Don't just come here and pray. Pray everywhere you go. When you see the trouble, get band together with some other believer. Get on the phone. Whatever you got, pray and seek God and ask for his mercy because he hears the prayers of the righteous. How many of you believe that? Number two, we got to walk in love. We only got seven of these. Number two, we got to walk in love. How many of the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? How many of you know that God loves people? Hate the sin but love the people. There are some so-called Christians who absolutely hate certain people. Let me, let me tell you this. Let me tell you something. Lord, help me, Holy Ghost. How can you say that you love God and you don't love the people that he created? Some of us have a hard time loving, and, and I don't understand it because Jesus loved us with an impeccable love, a love that none of us deserve, none of us. I am compelled to love in the most difficult of circumstances. Why? Because power is in love. He says love covers a multitude of sins. So how many know God loves the crooked cop and he loved the criminal on the street too. He loved them all. He loved them all. He deals with the sin. Sin has to be punished. But we must always come from a place of love. Always. Never let the devil dupe us like that. Are you hearing me? Jesus said this in Luke 6, verses 27 and 30. Look at this. At the beginning of that verse, he said, but I say to you who hear. Stop right there. He's saying what he's about to say. I'm about to say something that's really, really heavy. And, and a lot of you ain't going to be able to receive this. He said, so, so I'm talking to the people who will receive what I'm about to say because I know it's tough. Because I know that you've been taught totally different. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I'm saying to you, who can hear? Look at this. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate. Am I preaching the word this morning? And bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. He says, love your enemies. Who are your, your enemies? Whoever you deem your enemies. Whoever you don't like, he says, love them. Love them. He didn't give us an option. The church must come from a place where we love. 
that if a person that did wrong, if they want to get free, if they want to get delivered, that I can walk into that situation, you who did a horrible thing, and I can pray with you, and God will redeem you right now. But it's hard to pray and lead somebody to Christ if you hate their guts. You hearing me? How, you, how, how are we going to help? How is the church going to be seen as an agent of healing? How many know sin is sin? You didn't murder somebody, but you sure hate enough people. You sure got enough evil thoughts running in your mind, but we learn to categorize our sin, don't we? We don't understand that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Nobody is exempt. Everybody is broken. We are broke. Broke. Yeah, we act like we got, we, that, we don't understand that everything we got, God did it. God did it. God did it. You're free today because God did it. Go share it with somebody else. Even the people that did wrong. Listen to me. I want every, I don't care who, if you murder five people, I like the opportunity to pray with you to receive Christ. I believe there's redemption. I know I've ever, well, there's some people, I don't, listen to me. It's not my job to figure out all who's going to land in heaven, but my job is to preach the good news of the gospel. And whoever want to hear it, I want to give it to them. But that means I got to be free. I can't be, I can't be, I can't be driven by my hate. Hate is not a Christian virtue. It it, 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 it deadens our opportunity to help the way that the church needs to help. Number three, we need to walk in the spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do y'all hear that verse? Stop right there for a moment. Think about it. Some of you right now, you're fighting battles in your life and you're losing the battle because you don't understand the spiritual implications of it. You're fighting it in the flesh. You're looking at the person and you're looking and you're fighting it from a fleshly standpoint. He said, Paul said it clearly. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you not know all these shootings and all these things that are happening? Do you think that that's just a flesh and blood thing? It's a spirit. It's a spirit. It's the spirit of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principality. Paul is crystallizing before us where the source of the problem is. He's against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts. That means a whole bunch of them of wickedness in heavenly places. Satan is a master deceiver. Let me, t- let, me, let me tell you something. Church, God, God, God you know, there's a scripture that troubles me when Jesus says that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. He said, I believe in Hosea that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. How many know that the Bible said that Jesus said, I came to give life and give you life more abundantly. But Satan came to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Don't you not know? Can't you see what the enemy is doing? The enemy would love it so that the community just raise up and just rise up and hate the police and, we, and, 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 and debilitate police altogether. And you know, once you don't have no police, you know what's coming in after that? Do you see what the enemy is doing? Do you, do you see it in the spirit? I'm not saying we should deal with wrong. Don't get me wrong. When a wrong, a crooked, I already said, we should deal with that. 
bad, wrong shootings, killings, and murders that are unjust. We should deal with that. But let's be wise. The enemy wants to tear down our community. Well, there's lawlessness. There's all kind of wickedness that's going to abound. I'm telling you. And now there are some, I'm hearing the whispers among the colleagues that, that I don't even know what more to do because, you know, I, I'm just going to not respond. And how many know when we get in that situation, the comforts that we now enjoy is compromise? How many of you have needed the police in some point in time in your life for something? What I'm trying to show you is that the enemy knows what he's doing. It's a spirit, it's spiritual warfare. He want to rip down the community. He want there to be chaos. Chaos. You bring in chaos, society crumbles. Society crumbles. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. When I say walk in the spirit, be spiritually discerning. Deal with what's before you. Don't, don't presuppose. Don't just say, unless you know all the facts, listen to me. I'll talk about that here in a moment. But, but we need to deal with what's, what's in front of us. Deal with that. And then number four, we need to make peace. If we're going to engage, we've got to make peace. Everybody said make peace. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. For these, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers are the sons of God, not troublemakers. How many know that we are supposed to represent peace? Wherever we go, peace is in the house. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world give, I give unto you my peace. We are supposed to be representatives of peace. How many of you know that if we act like everybody else, how are we really helping? He said, blessed are the peacemakers for these. It's, like, it's as if Jesus is saying, what makes my daddy proud is when my children walk in peace. That they walk in peace. That they're not looking to start trouble. They're looking to bring healing. They're looking to bring hope. They're looking to fix. You should be the Mr. Fixer Upper. A Mrs. Fixer Upper. I knew my English was terrible. For you school teachers, just get off my back today. Give me a little grace. First Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says, Let him turn away from evil and do good, and, and let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it. It is not to say that we ought to let evil go rampant. It's just to say that we want to usher in a spirit of peace. How many know that the church should be the adult in the room? Somebody got to be, how many, you know, I mean, the church got to be the adult in the room. Somebody got to be able to look reasonably at this. I say it's us. But sometimes we act like the kids. I'm not speaking from a place of pride, people. What I'm telling you is, is that, that, that we are supposed to represent a kingdom and that we must be seen as distinct and different from every other entity. 
But if we're out there trying to make problems, how many know, how can you say that you're trying to make peace if you go out there with bottles and bricks and you're throwing stuff? What peace is in that? Or you're promoting that. Well, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to raise some. Mm. What peace is that? Why don't you go down there and pray, seek the Lord? Why don't you go in there and call on the name of the Lord? Why don't you go help? Why don't you go serve? There are ways that we can engage. Not that way. Number five, we've got to promote what is good and right in the sight of God. Hear me when I say this. We've got to promote what is good and right in the sight of God. How many know that it's a biblical thing to defend the innocent and the poor? We need to do that. In fact, you read the scriptures. The Bible is flooded with information about the poor and the needy and the oppressed. God have a very, very strong concern for the poor. A couple of verses. I'm just going to read these very quick. Zechariah 7, verses 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the alien or the poor. James 1, 27 Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Jeremiah 22, 3, thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness, everybody say righteousness, and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor and do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God want us to be just and right and to defend the rights of the poor. This is right. Defend the right of those who have no voice. But the question is, how do we do it? You can do it a number of ways. Mentoring. Voting. Helping the poor, serving, getting involved, funding some kind of a something, some kind of an activity to help the poor. That how I many know education is important. Getting people education and, and being able to somehow uh, get involved. How I many know this is the way that we engage? He said, "Glorify your let, let let the people see your good works and glorify your daddy." We glorify our daddy by getting in strategically and doing the right thing. And it starts with being a good example. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? How many know another way that we uh, uh, another way that we promote what is good and right in the sight of God is that we must obey and respect authority. Now let me say this, because I know some of you right now. I'm, I'm already with you. I'm already tracking with you. What if that authority is this? And what if that authority is that? And you know, you got the bumper stickers. Question authority. Let me tell you something. Look at uh, Romans chapter 13. Go to Romans chapter 13. I'll let the Holy Spirit speak for me. Because then, then I can just go home and sleep at night. And then whatever, whatever, whatever you throw at me, I'll be all right. Because you have to fight against him. And you can't beat him. You can probably beat me, but you can't beat him. I can tell you that right now. You're in, you're in uh, Romans chapter 13. Look at this. How many, let me ask, how many of you love the Bible? How many of you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Talking about authority structure. 
And the authorities that exist are appointed by who? Oh, boy, I ain't getting nobody going to help me right there. Ain't nobody going to help me. <laughs> Lord, I just me and you, Lord. Here we go. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, watch this, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister. What? To you for good. That's what we exist for. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Or in our day, the nine millimeter. Or whatever weapon they choose. For he is God's minister, avenger, uh, 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 an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices what? Evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, understand something. There's one thing to deal with unjust situations that happen in the street, unjust police officers, unjust authority, wherever they may be. But how many know that's one thing, but to have a disposition of rebellion is a whole different story. How many know that God has called us to respect authority? I was listening to a lady one day, she was talking, and she said to me, and I may not get many amens on this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And she was just saying how she's, she, you know, she was an African-American woman, and she was saying how she just instructing her kids to really stay away from the police and just, you know, how bad the cops are. And she went in on one on. I said, well, while you're instructing them to do that, will you also instruct your child to be respectful to authority? Do that too. Why do we need to be respecting authority? Because God has set authority in place for our protection. How many know that, that just because you have a few crooked cops don't mean all of them are bad? Just because you have a few priests that are molesting kids, all of them ain't molesting kids. But if you look at the news, it seems like all of them are doing it. I'm telling you, it's not. That's a trick of the enemy. It's not. I tell my kids all the time, they know, and they, they know daddy what daddy do. And I say, look, if you go out there and you, and you act like a fool, you're going to have to deal with that. If they ask you to do something, you do it. Be respectful. Be respectful. Honor authority because God told you to do it. And when there's wrong that is being done, then you deal with that too. Document it and do whatever you need to do, but we need to have a disposition whereby we respect and obey authority. I'm not just talking about law enforcement. I'm talking about across the board. Because I found out that rebels, or when they're a rebel at home, they grow up to be a rebel everywhere else. I found that to be true. How many know what I'm talking about? The kids, if they can't respect you now, they can't respect nobody else. And we, and listen to me, and somebody's bad behavior don't mean that we need to throw out the Bible. Don't mean that we need to not do what God tells us to do. We still need to be respectful. Why? Because we're the children of God, and God called us to do it. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? Colossians 3.25 says, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. How many know that, and I heard this, well, it's okay. Well, you know what? And I've heard people say this in, in, in regards to some of the, the things that we've seen out here today. Um, you know, and they, and they, and they talk about how, how bad one situation is, but they totally excuse criminal behavior. 
How many know that if the church can't be biased? We have to be, we have to, listen, we need to call sin, sin. We need to land wherever the truth lands. And it, look, I may not like where the truth is going to end up, but I need to be with the truth. Jesus says he was the way, the truth, and the what? Life. The Bible says the church is a pillar and ground of truth. I know sometimes, how many know that our bias sometimes can blind us to the truth? Sometimes we can be so biased that we can't see. But you know, I, you ever met people like that? They're, they're, they're so biased about their feelings that even if, 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 you, if truth punched them in the face, slapped them upside the head, knocked them down, they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept it. Why? Because I don't want to believe it. I want it. And this is why you won't get free. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth makes free. You keep truth out of it, no freedom. The truth makes free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You, let me, look, I may not like this. I mean, I may not like what you got to say about my son. I may not like what you got to say about my daughter. I may not like what you got to say about my colleague. But if the truth is the truth, then the truth is the truth. Deal with it because freedom is on the way. Amen. You know the truth, and truth will make you free. A lot of people are not free because they refuse truth. And when you are blind with your own bias, how many know the church can't really be an agent of change? If I have a real strong feeling toward another race for what they've done to my ancestors in the past, if I hold on to that and I can't really deal with truth, then nobody's going to get helped. The church becomes ineffective. The church got to be the adult in the room. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Number six. Oh, gosh. Can I get like five more minutes, seven more minutes? Can I get seven more preaching minutes? I know. All right. Gather the facts. Look, number six. Gather the facts from all sides before rendering a judgment. Gather the facts. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 or 5, with all you're getting, get understanding. Get wisdom. Get understanding. How many of you know that sometimes when we over, how many know that when using somebody to see something in the media, that oftentimes we just quickly, and I, I, I marvel because what God has shown me over the years as a leader, as a pastor, as a detective, I've been a detective for some 15 years. I've overseen multiple crime scenes, stabbings, shootings. And I, I've, 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 I've seen and I've, I, I've done it all. And uh, one of the things that, and, 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 and it never ceases to amaze me, but when people hear the first thing, you know, when they hear about something, they automatically assume it's the truth because you, it sounds so bad. And, and every time I've taken that bait, I've gotten in trouble because and a lot of times when I was in an investigation, they teach you this in law enforcement, uh, particularly when you investigate a crime, that, that you got to get both sides of the story. And a lot of times people operate on one side of the story. And, you know, when the church overcommit and then they come back and, they, and, and then some more information come out and the truth comes out, now you got to backpedal. Oh, yeah, oh, I, oh, oh, oh. But wait a minute, you had already jumped and, and, and yelled and screamed and said they were right, and now you've got some fresh information. Now you're in a place now where you lost credibility. So as a church, how many know that we got to be wise? Colossians, I believe, Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom. Learn to get both sides to every story. I learned this as a pastor. When a, when a husband come and tell me how bad his wife is, or vice versa, I've learned, I, I got to get both sides of the story. 
I've learned that. When my kids try to run a fast one on me, I got to get both sides of the story. I never commit. I'll listen. You, so a lot of times you're talking about this, I'm like, yeah. But I always say, but all, all the while in the back of my mind, I say, there's another side of the story. Because when, you're, when you get both sides of the story, you're in a position to make a wise decision. Now, you remember the story of Solomon, when Solomon was the, was the wisest man that ever lived. You remember that? And Solomon, there was two women that had a baby. Both of them had babies. One of the, one of the women slept uh, and smothered her baby accidentally. So the lady who lost her baby, she grabbed the other lady's live baby, and she tried to claim it as her own baby. And so they bring all this before Solomon. And Solomon, does it. Solomon said, look, bring all of them here. Bring both. And Solomon sit there. He listened to both. And when he did that, he was, even, he, was, he, he was in a position to make a wise decision and to make a good judgment. And we found out who the real mother was. Why? Because Solomon got all the facts. So listen, don't just jump the gun. When you hear something as a church, don't just receive it. Look at it, listen to it. Say, okay, let me, let, me, let me hear the other side. Why? Because your credibility is on the line now. I've learned that that'll help somebody. It may not preach real good, but it'll help you. Number seven, last, we need to engage with the gospel. Engage with the gospel. Engage with the gospel. Jesus said this, go into all the world, this is Mark 16, 15, and preach the gospel to every creature. How many know that it's about the message? Oftentimes, the gospel message is either mar- marginalized or minimized. But you remember Jesus said this. Jesus said something that I think we forget. He said, listen to me. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. What I like to hear more preachers doing, I want to hear more preachers lifting up Jesus in times of crisis. I want to hear more preachers. How many know that the gospel is the central message? How are we going to engage? We're going to engage with Jesus' words. How many know the power is in his word? The power is in his word. So we need to talk Jesus. We need to live Jesus. We need not to just have reverend on our name. We need to walk in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to be people that actually live it. I mean, if you don't want to talk Jesus, don't call yourself anything else. Whatever you are, don't listen. Preach Christ. Or do whatever else. The gospel message is everything. It's everything. How are we going to engage? We're going to engage with the word of God. We're going to go into those situations. We're going to preach Christ's message. We're going to preach his love. We're going to preach his forgiveness. We're going to preach his word. We're going to preach salvation. Well, separation of church and state, pastor, don't forget that. Listen, I ain't forgot that. I forgot that. Separation of church and state don't apply to me. That's one thing I disobey. Because as a Christian, I obey God rather than men. So I'm going to preach Christ no matter what. They tried to tell me a long time ago, and please, God, don't you be preaching Christ. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. I preach Christ. You just become crafty in how you do it, but you do it. <laughs> because I believe Christ is the hope of the earth. So we engage with the gospel. Engage with the gospel. Don't just, don't just engage with your frustration, with your anger. Preach Christ. Jesus, if you lift him up, He'll draw all men unto himself. In conclusion, I got three things for you. Be different because you are. Be different. Be the solution because you are. And be Christ-like 
If you do that, we will change our world.